What's one of the bigger line items in a ranch budget? If you say feed and supplement, I'd say you're right. But what if we took a little more time to put some thought behind our feeding program in an effort to save some money? You can feed your cows for the sake of feeding them, or you can feed them to meet specific nutritional goals. Dr. Mark Johnson from Oklahoma State University is my guest today as he shares with us what we can do to make sure we are being both efficient and effective with our feeding program. And just get back to that basic cowboy math as I call it and figure out what is your cost per unit of protein or energy but also know going in what is your nutritional goal what are you trying to accomplish he'll work through a scenario that will show us how we can evaluate our feed costs on more than just the price per ton but rather what will meet the nutritional needs and objectives of the livestock at the lowest cost per day kind of a show you can't afford not to listen in on on this episode of the working ranch radio show we welcome you here to the working ranch radio show i'm justin mills i trust everybody made it through the cold spell i know for us it was about a week ago when things got pretty nasty for us and then it just kind of tailed off through the week and was hit later on further as it went further uh through the week further to the east and so i hope everybody's kind of through that we kind of got things back to normal we actually was able to wean calves this last week with the weather improving a little bit and it looks like it's going to hold a little bit so that's always encouraging. Now, on our topic for today, as we look at, an, at a topic here that I think is relevant to a lot of us as ranchers, and that is really looking and analyzing our feed sources and our supplement type sources to make sure we're filling in the gaps in the right spots, but doing it cost effectively. I think a lot of times it's pretty simple to just throw a lot of product out there or throw a lot of feed or hay out there and really not know that uh, we're doing it in a cost effective means. And we end up probably when you go back and you look at really what the cows or animals needed versus what you gave them, sometimes or in many cases it could be more than what you really needed to do so with that in mind we're going to be talking on this subject here today my guest is dr mark johnson with oklahoma state university extension he is their beef cattle breeding specialist and dr johnson thanks for joining us here today on the working ranch radio show well, Justin, it's a pleasure to get to visit with you. Well, Dr. Johnson, before we went on air, I told you I said I'm kind of selfish in, in hitting this topic here on the show because it's something that I really have an interest in, but I know other guys do as well because when we get into that late summer and early fall of the year where you begin to figure out, okay, what do we have for feed sources available if you're we're in a drought area. Maybe you have to bring in some some feed. And if you were in a, a better year or a little wetter year, maybe your feed sources are a little less expensive. Or you have, in our case, we have more grass available this year. So we're going to try to get through the winter as long as we can on as much grass as we need. However, we do know that that's not going to fit every nutritional goal that is needed by the type and the class of cattle that we're going to be uh, wintering throughout the year. But when it comes to our supplements, I think really at the end of the day, we do need to be mindful about what we're spending on supplements uh, definitely not to do uh, degrade or uh, a slant against any of the supplement companies they're needed they they do provide some product out there that are very relevant to our industry nevertheless uh, it's often pretty easy to just kind of throw a lot at these cows or at the livestock with really not any planning ahead of that so it is important don't you think that we be mindful about the money that we're spending towards supplement 
Oh, for sure. I, I, you know, Justin, we always get back to the concept that in the cattle business, we want to emphasize that business part. Mm -hmm. You know, we, it's production agriculture. We, we get tied up doing a lot of things. We wear a lot of different hats, but we can never fail or we shouldn't fail to remember that it is a business and try to accomplish what we're doing as cost efficiently as possible. So when we get into this particular topic of nutrition with our livestock, uh, again, there's a lot of options in our industry out there. Before we get into analyzing some of the stuff that you've broken down and, and, and providing some guidance to producers as far as figuring things out, let's start from the basics from a nutritional standpoint with our cattle. And, and from your mindset, what's the basis that we need to start from? Well, that's a great question. And, you know, one thing we always get back to is the importance of water. And it, it, water is easy to take for granted when we've got an ample supply of fresh, good quality drinking water. But, you know, some of the things we've lived through here in Oklahoma in the past couple years has been a reminder of just how critical it is that we have water first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And, if we're fortunate that that's not a limiting issue of all the nutrients that cattle need, vitamins, minerals, water, uh, most diets get back to the crude protein and the energy content that cattle through different stages of production have to have to, to meet what we're asking them to do. Mm -hmm. Real quick, I want to hit briefly on this because we're going to dial in more specifically throughout the show as we look at the cost on protein and energy because that's really what a lot of times we look at. But we really can't also overlook a good mineral and vitamin program as well. So let's hit that if you can real briefly about your view and standpoint on a vitamin and mineral package. Well, I think, you know, just a, a good mineral supplementation program is important. It depends a little bit on the type of grass we're on. There's times a year that, you know, as we graze pastures in Oklahoma, we may see cattle barely touch that free choice mineral that we've got out. Other times of the year, they're going to hit it a lot harder. I think that's, I think that's normal. And they, when they're getting what they need from the forage that they're grazing, uh, they're not going to be as apt to go to a free choice mineral uh, when they're not. And maybe forage quality is tapering off a little bit is when we'll see them get more at that, you know, expected level of intake on a mineral. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've identified vitamins, minerals, water, all being important part. And we, you also mentioned protein and energy, which is what we're going to be analyzing here to make sure that what we are spending towards providing that protein and that energy to our livestock is doing it adequately, that it meets the needs of the livestock, but at the same time, cost effective and not overdoing it or underdoing it one way or the other. But before we jump right into that, real quick, Dr. Johnson, from a very topical standpoint, let's talk about the importance or how important that that aspect is when we're analyzing and looking at feed, just protein and energy, those two elements that are part of the feed sources, whether it's uh, the feed that we have available or the feed we're bringing in or the supplement packages that we're providing as well. Yeah, the, the majority of what cattle need on a day-to-day -day basis is enough energy intake and enough crude protein intake. And, you know, we like I say, a lot of this other stuff, we can kind of take it for granted. Mm -hmm. But if we want cattle to gain and grow, if we're talking about young calves, the more energy that's in their diet, 
the more weight they're going to put on in a given amount of time. And, and, of course, protein comes into play there as well. And if we're looking at maintaining mature cows or at different stages of production, we're trying to add a little weight or body condition to cows uh, going into calving season through the normal production cycle. Uh, we, we can, you know, there's a lot of good information out there. I, I refer to chapter 16 of our Oklahoma State University beef cattle manual. Mm-hmm. It's the most current edition of that. And it's full of the NRC charts, the nutritional requirements of cattle. And you can look in there. Any producer can take a look at that information. And, you know, from that, a cow of a given size at a certain stage of production, whether or not she's milking or dry, whether or not she weighs 1,100 pounds or 1,500 pounds, there's a certain amount of crude protein she's going to need in her diet each day and a certain amount of energy each day. Mm-hmm. And that was interesting because as I was reading this and a, and a lot of our interview here today is being based off of an article and, and some information that you have available on money saved through cost effective feeding. And that was that was something that caught my eye as I was reading these articles that caught my eye a little bit is in terms of those nutritional requirements. That's a pretty big deal. I felt when I was reading this because it, we, we really need to know what those nutritional requirements are for the type and class of cattle and what we're doing with them we, we sure do and yeah it, get, it gets back to that business model that we want to follow to try to increase our profit potential as much as possible and you can you can feed your cows for the sake of feeding them or you can feed them to meet specific nutritional goal and i think that latter idea is more the feeding for a specific nutritional goal comes closer to following a business model than just that we enjoy feeding cows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My guest today is Dr. Mark Johnson. He's with Oklahoma State University, their extension beef cattle breeding specialist. We're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to continue on as we are really trying to get down to the core of this uh, in terms of, as as Dr. Johnson was just saying there, we can either feed cows for the fun of it, or we can we, we can do this with a, with a business approach in that. And that's really the basis of our conversation here today. As we head to break, a recognition of our sponsors today of the Working Ranch Radio Show, Performance Beef, Make Decisions Based on Data and and not a hunch. Cattle management software that's easy to use and allows you to simplify feeding, performance, and health data recording from the shoot side or right there out in the pen or out in the pasture. Find out more at performancelivestockanalytics.com. And Vitalix, livestock is your livelihood. Tubs are our expertise. Vitalix, the true blue tub. Find out more at vitalix.com. And Tank Toad, your remote water monitoring system, all from the convenience of your phone. It's what we use here on the X-Ring Ranch. If you want to find out more, give them a call at 801-252-6135 or at tanktoad.com. Don't go away. Dr. Mark Johnson continues with us as we talk about cost-effective feeding when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. You know, big cows come with big feed bills, which is why smart genetic selection can pay off in your cow herd. Did you know Simmental-influenced cows are an average 74 pounds lighter at maturity than Angus-sired counterparts, according to a recent U.S. Meat Animal Research Center study? Now, while Simmental is sized for more efficient gains, 20-year genetic trend lines also show the breed offers reliable calving ease, early growth, and cow longevity. That's a balanced herd built for profit. 
Sim Genetics, giving you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today is Dr. Mark Johnson with Oklahoma State University Extension, their beef cattle breeding specialist. We're talking about cost-effective feeding, and and we're going to get specifically into looking at really the two things that we do need to be looking at in our feed and in, in our supplement, and that is crude protein and energy. Dr. Johnson, you talked a little bit, and as we went into break the last time, I had made that comment about one of the things that popped up in 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 my mind as I. I was reading the information here that you had sent me was really defining and finding those nutritional requirements. I, I know you mentioned it in the last segment, but just one more time, maybe mention that again. As you said, we could refer, was it to chapter 16 or something of that nature where we can find those nutritional requirements? Yeah, we uh, we have a, we call it the Oklahoma State University Beef Cattle Manual. And it's something that we first published here. Wow, it's been decades ago. I'd have to, mm-hmm. I'd have to investigate to tell you. But every two or three years, we update it. And so the current version, the most recent version, is the eighth edition, and it's chapter sixteen of that, where there's you know charts and tables that, you know, say a producer knew that his mature cow size averaged a certain weight. You could look in there, and there would be a table. And it would tell you how, what is the, the daily protein requirement, what is the daily energy requirement of a cow that size. And it would even break it down and get specific if it was in the second trimester of pregnancy or the third trimester of pregnancy or, or what would happen to those requirements as she had a calf and began to lactate. And so that's always a, a good place to start when we think about feeding and identifying nutritional goals is what do those cows need. Mm-hmm. There's a couple things I want to go off from that just real quickly to address, and that is getting the weight on our cattle. I think sometimes uh, we don't or we're maybe not honest with ourselves in really getting the weight of our cattle. We all like to think we raise twelve and a half to 1,300-pound cows because that looks good in the numbers, but at the same time, it may not be may not be quite accurate. And I think it's important that we really, you know, we know the weight on our cattle. I think that's a pretty big deal. It it does become important. And, you know, the rule of thumb that, that we always talk about is the day you wean, if you could weigh your four to seven year old cows and take that average, that's your benchmark for what your average mature cow weight is that as we're looking at things like nutritional requirements, that's the number we would work off of. Okay, that's a good that's a good rule of thumb. Okay, the second thing I wanted to address, and you, and you had hit it in a couple different uh, comments that you were saying, and it's something that I highlighted here, and that is to, uh, it's imperative to determine what our objective is with the type of cattle. I remember a few years ago, I was getting ready, it was the first time we began holding back some of our heifers, and I was going to feed them through the winter. So I began the process of... I I, I thought, man, I was going to have to come up with this pretty intense ration of feed and all this kind of different things. And so I called my nutritionist and he said, well, what do you have for the type of hay? And he says, well, here's what you can do. But it was all based on what are you wanting to get out of these heifers? Like, what do you want them to gain per day? So it's really important, as you mentioned in your article here, we really need to know what the end game is with whatever type of enterprise, whether it's whether it's young cattle, old cattle, whatever that's going to be. The end game is pretty imperative to know that. 
Oh, yeah, that's we've got to start there. We've got to identify that nutritional goal and what we're trying to accomplish. If we're if we're trying to put weight on a set of young light calves for some endpoint at which we'll sell them, that's one different goal than, say, a set of weaned heifer calves that we know we need to get them to a certain weight by the beginning of breeding season so that they'll be cycling and, and ready to breed up quick. Well, that's a different nutritional goal. And we're not going to, we can, in a lot of cases, just based on the standing forage we might have or our source of hay and the amount of time we've got to get them there, that may be a pretty easily accomplished thing off standing forage or hay without a lot of other dietary supplementation. Mm-hmm. I guess that's something I, I realized is that I was probably making it way more complicated than it needed to be with the types of supplements that are out there, uh, proteins and various things that are available out there. We probably can make, we have a tendency to make it a little bit more complicated than it needs to be sometimes. I mean, that's the way I take it. Do you see that as well? Oh, I, yeah, I think I'm personally guilty of that a lot of times. <laughs> and And we always want to start by Okay, what what kind of forage is growing out here right now that I can utilize? Because God equipped cattle with that rumen, and they can take that fibrous stuff that even when it's not green, they can do a lot with it if we just get the appropriate supplements in there for them. And sometimes it doesn't take any supplementation. But yeah, we, we need to keep it simple and and just look at those basic needs that they've got and determine the most cost-effective way to get it into them. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into, folks, some some numbers here uh, as we continue with our show. And some of this, we'll, we'll provide you that link with that. Before we start getting into that, Dr. Johnson, real quick, as you come up with this article here on money saved through cost-effective feeding, what was your basis? I mean, maybe we've already addressed that a little bit, but what's what's kind of the basis for where this article is stemming from? Well, you know, I look at what we've got going on in Oklahoma in the fall, and a lot of us are weaning calves. And as we do, we're taking a look at those cows and thinking about when they're going to calve again and basically assessing the body condition they're in and knowing that we'd like to have them in a body condition score of five to six going into the next calving season so that we'll get a quick breed back on them and, you know, keep our calving interval within 12 months. Uh, we, we take a look at the standing forage that's on hand and in many situations right now, we see that a little protein supplementation may be needed to just coast those cows to the next calving season and help them maintain the weight that they're at. And so what we did was took a look at, you know, a couple commonly available protein or range cubes as we would think about them. And, uh, you know, at the time I wrote the article, we could buy a 38% crude protein range cube. It's about 70% TDN and TDN is just our measure of energy content in those cubes. Those cubes right now are costing about four seventy-five a ton, and we buy a twenty percent range cube or twenty percent crude protein, and also seventy percent TDN or energy. And those twenty percent cubes are costing right at three fifty a ton right now. And so, you know, if I'm at the feed store and I know I need to most likely get some protein supplement in my cows, that that basic price per ton, it's certainly more appealing to think about buying the 20% cubes 
at 350 a ton. But if in fact we're going to buy them to meet our cow's protein supplement need, we actually ought to break that down and think about what we're buying for the given price. And so some of the numbers that, that I worked through in our cow-calf corner article, and I think this article also is going to appear, if not already, pretty soon in the Hereford World publication. But if we take a look at those 38% cubes, that on an as-is basis, that ton of feed or cubes that we're buying at 475, if there's 38% crude protein in them, we're actually buying 760 pounds of crude protein for that $475. And so we take the $475 a ton price and divide it by the 760 pounds of crude protein we're purchasing. That is 62 and a half cents per pound of crude protein in that particular 38% cube. Now, those 20% cubes, by that same math, we're actually buying 400 pounds of crude protein. And so at the $350 a ton price, do we divide the 400 pounds of crude protein into that price, and those cubes are costing us 87 and a half cents per pound of crude protein purchased. Now, if we're looking at the energy purchase on the TDN content of both those at 70% TDN, in both cases, we're we're buying 1,400 pounds of energy. And so the 38% cubes per unit of TDN or energy, we're paying 34 cents. The 20% cubes per unit of energy or TDN, we're actually only paying 25 cents. And so this is a protein supplement cube we're looking at. If we found ourselves in a situation where energy was the primary thing we wanted, you could argue that the 20% cube is the best deal. But if you are needing to meet protein requirements of cows through supplementation of either of these, the 38% cube at 62.5 cents per, per pound of protein is your better buy. And so that's the initial assessment looking at the economics of it. And then from there, we want to identify what what is our feeding goal. Are we looking at cows that you know, whatever they're grazing, be it standing forage or hay, it looks like it could pretty much meet their energy requirement, but maybe not their protein requirement. Well, then we're going to do a little protein supplementation to those cows. If we're talking about feeding cows that are short of both energy and crude protein, then the 20% cube maybe is the better deal. But we can't really answer either question of what's the best deal until we identify a specific nutritional goal that we're trying to meet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Very good. And yeah, and that's exactly why I had you answer that before is because we, we need to know kind of what the end game on this is. Folks, my guest today sure. is, is Dr. Mark Johnson with Oklahoma State University. We have more with him. We're going to work through an example here coming up in our next segment. Stay with us on that. Don't forget coming up later on, meteorologist Don Day will be joining us with a look at our long-term weather. And of course, the captain Tim O'Byrne will be stopping in for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Stay with us. You're listening to the Working Ranch Radio Show. There are lots of nutrition tubs out there, but none can match the True Blue commitment of Vitalix. Our tubs offer you the most concentrated nutrition at the lowest cost per day. That means more profit for your operation and improved performance for your cow herd. 
In fact, research shows Vitalix tubs increase feed efficiency by 20% while boosting conception rates, herd health, and weaning weights. Learn more at Vitalix.com. Vitalix, the true blue tub. And we welcome you back. This is the Working Ranch Radio Show. My guest today is Dr. Mark Johnson as we continue on our topic today on cost-effective feeding. And we're dialing in specifically on how we can maximize our profitability in the supplement and the add- and the additives to our feed sources that we have available out there. As, as many of you know, uh, here on our program, I really hit hard on, on us managing our operations as a business-type mindset, and this is no different. Dr. Mark Johnson shared with us an example we were specifically looking at uh, in the last segment looking at the two things that cattle are going to need on this which would be crude protein and energy which is tdn numbers that we're looking at in that and mark uh, or dr johnson i'll just let you continue on we were you gave us uh, kind of set things up and looking at 38 percent cubes versus 20 percent cubes and the cost variations of those and i'll let you continue on now well, yeah, Justin, we're, this is a phone call I got a couple <laughs> weeks ago that, that I helped a producer work through. And interestingly enough, it was a really similar situation that I found myself in. And so, you know, the numbers we're going to look at, we've, we've got an average mature weight on the cow herd of 1,300 pounds. Those cows, they had bulls turned out with them the beginning of May. So we anticipate that we're about 100 days away from calving sometime, you know, that first week or 10 days of February when they would start. And we look at those cows right now, body condition on them is good. They're right at a five and a half body condition score. We have got a pretty good amount of standing forage in the form of native grass. And so we know that they can eat that every day. We really just want to maintain them, you know, on what they are. And so assuming that native grass pasture, you know, dormant native range this time of year in Oklahoma is going to be about 5% crude protein and about 55% TDN, then we would anticipate those cows are going to eat probably 1.9 to 2% of their mature weight in forage dry matter every day. So we're just going to say they're going to ingest 25 pounds of forage dry matter on a daily basis. If we take that at a 5% crude protein level, that means those cows are going to consume about one and a quarter pounds of crude protein each day. If we look at that same 25 pounds of forage dry matter at 55% TDN, they're going to take in about 13.75 pounds of energy or TDN on a daily basis. Now, what do those numbers mean? we need to be looking at that NRC chart in chapter 16 of our beef manual. And what it tells us is that a 1300 pound cow in her last trimester of pregnancy needs about 1.84 pounds of crude protein daily and 13.3 pounds of TDN daily just to maintain the body condition and the weight that she's at. So we're gonna ingest 13.75 pounds of TDN from our standing forage, we have no energy deficit, but we're going to be right at six-tenths of a pound shy of those cows meeting their crude protein requirement. Mm -hmm. They need 1.84. They're actually going to take in 1.25. Therefore, this is one of those instances we find ourselves in. 
those cows need some protein supplementation. Otherwise, protein's going to limit the benefit of the grass. They're going to lose weight. They're not going to be in the shape that we want them in when they start to calve here at the beginning of February. So we've got 60 cows, and we've got about 100 days of supplementation that we need, and we're determining the most cost-effective way to meet that six-tenths of a pound of crude protein that they need each day. Now, earlier we talked about those 38% cubes and those 20% cubes and their respective price per ton. And from those numbers, we figured out that that pound of crude protein that we're buying in the 20% cubes is actually costing us 87 and a half cents. That pound of crude protein per unit that we're buying in 38% cubes is actually only costing us 62 and a half cents per unit of crude protein. So working through the math, it's going to take about three pounds a day, those 20% cubes to meet the protein deficit in these cows. It's only going to take a little over a pound and a half of the 38% cubes to meet that. If we take our protein deficit of six tenths and multiply it by that 87 and a half cents, mm -hmm that we figured the 20% cubes were costing per pound of protein, it's going to cost us 52 cents a day to meet those cows on a per head basis with the 20% cubes. Now, if we do that with the 38% cubes, that six tenths of a pound deficit multiplied by 62 and a half cents a pound, it's only 37 cents a day that it costs to meet their crude protein requirement by supplementing with the 38% cubes. Now, if you're like me, well, <laughs> big deal. 37 cents compared to, what do we say, 52 cents yep, a day. Yeah, but we got 60 cows and we got 100 days of supplementation. And so we take those daily costs and multiply them by 60 cows and multiply it by 100 days. And what we come up with is to meet those cows' needs with the 20% cubes, is going to cost us right at, I think it works out to $3,120 mm -hmm. is our expected feed bill off the 20% cubes at a cost of $350 a ton. But we could do the same thing with the 38% cubes for $2,220. Mm -hmm. Yes, they cost more per ton, but the cost per unit of protein is actually considerably less. Mm -hmm. and so the difference between the 3120 and the 2220 is right at $900 we save by taking a look at those feedstuffs on a per unit of nutrient basis, in this case, protein, and making the right choice on our purchase to supplement with. We save $900 by supplementing with the 38% cubes. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense. I, I know a lot of times, as you said, I mean, we're, we're sometimes enticed by the lower price on the cake feed. If in this case, particular case, it could be a different type of supplement folks where, I mean, this was, this was an example of cubes, uh, but it could be the same thing. I think that lower price a lot of times is enticing. We haven't taken the time to, to figure that out as you were going through those numbers and figuring out what is the cost per protein. And like this example specifically pointed out those higher 38% cubes per protein was a savings. And, you know, that was just on 60 cows. You start running, you know, 253, four, five, 600 head of cows. That's a pretty significant savings. 
it it tallies up pretty fast. Uh, we're we're looking at a short time span and and just you know a handful of cows looking mm-hmm. at sixty. Move that decimal to the right, like you said, start thinking about six hundred cows. Yeah, it adds up pretty fast. And you know the the thing that I would encourage everyone to do is I'm looking at a couple commonly available cubes here at a lot of feed mills in Oklahoma. There's other products on the market. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 25% cube, there's 28%. There's there's other, you know, co-products out there that, that we can look up the protein content in and just get back to that basic cowboy math, as I call it, and figure out what is your cost per unit of protein or energy, but also know going in what is your nutritional goal, what are you trying to accomplish, and from there, just doing the math to figure out the most cost-effective way to get from point A to point B. You bet. We're going to take another quick break here. We'll be back, and when we continue on, we'll just do put a wrap on this conversation. Dr. Mark Johnson with Oklahoma State University Ex- Extension, their beef cattle breeding specialist, is my guest today. Just one more question I have for him in regards to something else that all of this kind of hinges off of as well. We'll continue with him when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Animal health is key to your business, so how do you track cattle health treatments? Stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs. Performance Beef helps you record processing data, enter costs, and track animal health history, all in real time at the shoot. The mobile app also makes it easy to log pasture and pen treatments on the go. Your health data is integrated with feed and financial information in one easy-to-use platform, accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to request a demo. And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. My guest today, Dr. Mark Johnson with Oklahoma State University. And Dr. Johnson, as we wrap up our conversation here today a little bit, we've been really hitting this as far as uh, getting down to the nuts and the bolts of cost-effective feeding. And and, uh, as you worked through us with the last couple of segments, some of the numbers in that on just an example of a a 60-head herd on that and and some different types of proteins that are out there, Uh, sometimes the higher protein protein feed that seems expensive in the at the end of the day might actually be cheaper in terms of the cost per protein and that's kind of essentially what you were showing us with this one of the things i wanted to hit real briefly as well was our feed source our base feed source that we have in this particular example you were talking about native grass and i know for you're specifically using an example of oklahoma but this is applicable to anybody in the country we really do need to know what our feed source is maybe that that's some poor hay or some hay that you have on hand or the native grass, as you had mentioned there. But knowing what that feed source is and what it has to offer, that's pretty important in all of this as well. Most definitely. And, you know, some forage testing, whether it's your your hay source, whether it is if you can get a good sample from that standing forage that's out in pastures, just, uh, you know, getting a good snapshot of what actually exists there for the cows to eat is helpful. But I I relate back to some of that information that, you know, we can refer to. Uh, We've got a lot of data that we base things on, like the example that I used of about 5% crude protein and 55% TDN on dormant native grass. 
you know, those kind of estimates can be made based off a lot of information. Mm-hmm. Or we can actually go out there and take core samples out of a bale of hay or go around and, and clip some samples of standing forage around a pasture. And usually wherever we're at, sending it into our local extension office or getting in touch with those folks, they're going to be able to guide us in the right direction to get a forage sample back and know what that crude protein and energy content is. Mm -hmm. As you were talking about that, Dr. Johnson, something that where my mind went a little bit in this, and I think if we really, really wanted to dial in on this as a producer and really be, um, I guess as, as we're, we've alluded to on many occasions, be business minded in all of this. Um, sometimes I, I feel like if a guy's in a situation where they're buying hay, they have to buy hay. Now, in our, in our case, we try to not have to have, buy as any, any more hay than we need to and try to winter as much as we can on grass. So that's that situation. But I would venture to say that if you really want to put a hard pencil to this, I wonder sometimes if in some cases we're not buying well, I shouldn't say I'm starting to go down the road of buying higher quality hay than we actually need. But I guess all of that is, is just putting into different scenarios. Maybe there is some lower quality hay that if protein is cheap, that you can supplement with protein. And at the end of the day, you might actually be cheaper per cost per head per day doing some of those kinds of things rather than maybe buying high end hay that is that you're not needing to do because of some other options that you could be looking at. I believe that can be true. And it gets back to that, you know, what is the value or the price of that hay we're looking at? And in a lot of cases, if possible, if you can get a test on the hay you're looking at buying, it's really helpful in establishing the value. And and talking about those things that we all get guilty of, if somebody told me that they had big bales for sale at $60 a bale and somebody else told me they had big bales for sale at 120 the knee-jerk reaction is, well, we want the less expensive hay. But we actually, you know, are those bales weighing 900 pounds or 1,500 pounds? Are, are those that 11% crude protein and 60% TDN or are they, you know, CRP ground that's yeah. been sitting out there with no great for years before it got bailed up where maybe it's not even at the crude protein and and TDN levels that we're using in this example of dormant native range. And so if if possible, you want to look at the whole picture, like you're saying, and if you can assess your hay and, you know, value it relative to the protein and the energy that's there, it helps Mm -hmm. in most cost-effectively meeting those nutritional goals. You bet. Well, Dr. Johnson, we've covered a lot. We're going to put some links in the podcast description here that people can get to some of the information that we've shared here as well. So folks, uh, if you listen to it and and you want to get to some of that and see that stuff on paper, we will provide those links. Dr. Johnson, thanks for joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity, Justin. It was good to visit with you. You bet. And I do want to point out one more thing, and that is that if you go to their website at beefextension.com, you will find uh, some of the software that they do have available, such as the OSU Calculator, the calculator spelled C-O-W-C-U-L-A-T-O-R program, and it can really pinpoint down to the animal's nutritional requirements that we were talking about here today. A lot of those things that we talked about help you kind of figure that stuff out, but I think by and large, the basis here is that we can and, and use just 
just simple cowboy math, as Dr. Johnson was referring to there, about calculating what our animals are needing, knowing what our objective is going to be with those, getting those nutritional requirements based upon those objectives in the class of cattle. And we really can do some pretty simple things just literally on a notepad to know that what we're doing is maybe the most cost-effective means of providing that supplement base that our feed might need in, in certain situations. So again, a topic that I think for a lot of us as ranchers, we deal with probably on an annual basis at one point or the other. Well, stay with us. Coming up after the break, the Captain Tim O'Burn will be by with this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents, and we'll visit with meteorologist Don Day on our long-term weather outlook. We'll be back on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. Do you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more? Day Weather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Day Weather Weather Journal is a great gift idea for any occasion. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. Welcome back. This is the Working Ranch Radio Show. Before we head to the Captain Tim O'Byrne for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents, I have a quick question for you. How many of you have liked the Working Ranch Magazine Facebook page? Now, the reason I ask that, because if you do, then you will see the captain each and every Friday morning post out there a question. What's going on in your neck of the woods? And I always find that really interesting because people, either the couple comments they have or they post a picture of it. And it's just fun to see that because I think for all, all of us, it kind of kind of just ties us together maybe a little bit like a big family in, in one way or the other and i appreciate what people have or, and what they're doing what they're going through as a lot of times you get to hear maybe some of the things i do but i don't always get to hear what's going on in your area as well so i appreciate that for my own sake so if you have not found the working ranch magazine's facebook page be sure you find that and like that and you can chime in what's going on in your neck of the woods this coming friday as well with that in mind speaking of the captain let's go to the captain Tim O'Byrne for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey Justin, hey everybody out there on Working Ranch Radio Land. Hope your fall is fabulous as these calf prices have been lately. Justin, last episode 141 on the podcast radio show, you had Mary Jo Ehrman, farm and ranch strategy expert and author, and she had some really good advice on what to do with some of this newfound uh, calf cash that folks are going to be seeing this fall. Go back and check that out. Now, I'm going to bring your attention to the November-December issue of Working Ranch Magazine. This is a article by Sharon Chira, Flying Diamond Ranch, father-daughter team earns respected uh, 2023 BQA Cow-Calf Award. And here's a, here's a really good quote from that article. That's on page 68. And uh, I want you to have a look at that because there's some good stuff to learn here. And this is about uh, father and daughter team Blaine and Jacqueline Wilson up there in Nebraska. And... Uh, most recently, uh, Jacqueline uh, traveled to the EU and the UK, and this is what she says, quote, ranchers are the original conservationists, and it doesn't economically benefit us if we can't work with both land and livestock successfully. 
And what she observed while in Europe were mass inefficiencies caused by overregulation in agricultural pursuits. So let's learn about what she uh, saw over there. And I thank you very much, Jacqueline, for sharing this with. And this is a good quote. The path of the UK and the EU is one that is scary and we need to watch it so the US doesn't emulate the same regulatory control, says Jacqueline, citing further concerns. Instead of looking at the science-based data, they, the EU, are more emotionally based in their policies. Bureaucrats are not connected to the earth. They don't feed the world and it's working to their detriment. Great, wise words, Jacqueline Wilson. Thank you so much for that. Justin, back to you in the booth. All right. Thanks, Captain. Yeah, it is the November, December issue of Working Ranch Magazine that is out. And if you don't have your subscription, it's pretty easy to get it started if you go to workingranchmag.com. Now, an article that I flipped to and thought was quite interesting, mainly because it sort of ties a bit to what we were talking about today as we were talking with Dr. Mark Johnson on cost-effective feeding and how we can be mindful of, of the money we're spending towards those supplement-type feeds or products that may we may need to offset some of the deficiencies in our feed sources. But this was an article written by Gilda Bryant starting on page 32 entitled Ready for the Final Push. And it's talking about getting these cows, these mama cows ready for that third trimester time. And I know for some of you, when I say that, you're probably thinking, well, shoot, I haven't even shipped my calves yet. Why are we talking about that already? Well, it's never too early to get started thinking about that down the road. For some folks, third trimester could be coming up here in a couple months. For others, it could be a couple, four, five, six months down the road. Nevertheless, something to be thinking about and a great article to refer to if you look in the latest issue of Working Ranch Magazine. It starts on page 32. Well, let's turn now and take a look at our long-term weather as meteorologist Don Day is standing by. And Don, as we've started the month of November off a a bit mild comparative to the week before, but I feel like we're just kind of gathering our breath a bit. There's some moisture coming down through the the west. Uh, You mentioned last week in your podcast that the Pacific is really really playing a lot into the weather that we're seeing moving, starting in the West and moving across the country. And that's bringing some moisture, some much needed moisture to the Northwestern and Western part of the U S. Yeah. They really needed some rain in, in Washington and Oregon. And uh, they're going to see as much as five to six inches of rain along the Cascades and West to the coastal areas. And even some of that moisture, which a lot of times, stops at the Cascades is going to get over into eastern Washington. So some of that winter wheat country of eastern Washington, uh, parts of northeastern Oregon, and into Idaho, and then into Montana. Uh, Rain in the valleys, snow in the mountains as that pattern develops. So good to see because, you know, that is one area with the El Nino pattern that we're going to have this winter that sometimes is drier than average. So it's good that they're getting this fall moisture you know, and you had mentioned that that uh, colder weather we had in late October. I mean, we had temperatures uh, just a couple of days ago uh, down in the Carolinas that hit hit the mid twenties. Uh, but the Pacific air is really going to dominate here, at least in the short term. And uh, we'll bring more of a moderate temperature pattern to the U.S. Mm -hmm. Now, before we start talking about the latter part of November, let's just kind of move through the country a bit into this coming week. uh, What's ahead of us? We've talked a little bit about what we're seeing for moisture across the northwest and northern tier of the country. What about as we move into the Midwest and down into the southern plains? Not a lot. Uh, As long as this jet stream uh, goes west to east, which it's likely going to do here for several more days, 
the southern tier of the U.S. is going to be pretty dry. And most of the Corn Belt as well. So any uh, remaining harvest operations there should not be impeded by the weather, at least for the next week or so. After that, things are, are going to start to change. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I was going to say, as you were saying, maybe drier conditions across the Corn Belt, probably not all that bad this time of the year <laughs> in, in light of them trying to get harvest done. Okay, let's start to look at the latter part of November. And I know it just seems crazy as we're in the front part, but there's some, you guys are, are have really been pinpointing some things here. Again, it's a long ways out. There's no guarantee in this, but starting to see maybe a change starting around that second weekend uh, or this this next weekend or just after this next weekend in through almost the first part of December. Explain what you're looking at and what you're seeing there that's giving you that indication. We're looking at two things. Uh, one is uh, we have been mentioning these very strong jet stream winds across the North Pacific, and uh, we're going to see that continuing. And think of these really strong jet stream winds. It's just a lot of energy uh, when you start to see this contrast between the, the northern hemisphere getting colder at the higher latitudes, still warm at the mid-latitudes, and, and you just get a stronger temperature gradient, which just leads to more weather. We're, we're also watching what's going on out in the Atlantic. Now, we don't talk about the Atlantic yeah. very often, no. but we're seeing a similar situation developing across the central Atlantic. In fact, Europe going to be pounded heavily uh, in the coming days by a lot of stormy weather and much, much colder weather. And uh, when we see the two largest ocean basins in the world like this in the northern hemisphere getting stormy, you're you're going to end up triggering something a little bit later. And, and that's what we're looking at for the second half of November. And one thing uh, that we use, uh, there's a there are weather forecasting tools called teleconnections, which where we look at really big picture items, especially across the oceans that tend to be signals or harbinger of changes that come later. Mm -hmm. And there's something called the Eastern Pacific Oscillation, which is basically a measurement of how the pressure patterns are expected to, to evolve across the Pacific Ocean. And when it goes into a negative phase, North America tends to get colder. And that's exactly what happened in, in the last days of October. It went into a negative phase and voila, we had the first really big cold outbreak of the year. And what we see is kind of a pause and a, a positive phase of that, but it goes negative strongly by the second half of November into early December. So the second half of November, early December for for most of the U.S. and Canada may end up being a pretty wintry. And that's at least at least the signs are there that that could come to fruition. Yeah. It seems to me that we are there's a lot of focus more in the north and north northwest and northern tier southern Canada with the weather pattern that we've seen so far this fall. Is that where it's going to continue as we move through and we start to see a, maybe a, more of a change in December? Well, that's a good question. Um, in a typical El Nino driven pattern, you would you would expect that the the track of the storms will get further and further south as we go into winter, mm -hmm. which means that that you'll see more precipitation into the central and southern tier of the U.S. Uh, as we go in December, as we go into January. Uh, but we'll watch this. The, the thing is, is I don't think it's going to be a normal normal El Nino year, as we have discussed in other yeah. interviews. There, there's more moving parts than just El Nino. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do think it's important that the Pacific Northwest and the Northern Tier get this fall precipitation in case we see that Southern shift, because this early fall precipitation, which is focusing on those areas, could be really beneficial if that track 
of the jet stream ends up going further south. And, and that's what we're expecting um, as we get into the early to middle parts of winter. Uh, but at least here, I think for the coming weeks, there'll be more moisture in those northern and northwest areas. All right. So it sounds like that if they're going to, this might be the best chance they got. So they better take it now because it may not happen later. <laughs> yeah, get it while you can. <laughs> yeah. All right, Don, appreciate it. Thanks for joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Thanks for having me. You bet. And if you want to tune in each and every morning to meteorologist Donde's video podcast, you can find the link to that by going to his website at dayweather.com. I'd also mention if you're looking for weather instruments, things like digital weather stations, rain gauges, thermometers, and so forth, you can find a link on his website as well to those items. Well, stay with us. When we return, we'll put a wrap on this week's edition of the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. Every year you pick your replacement heifers. Some become profitable cows, others disappoint. How can you make more reliable selections? Genetic testing. Commercial cow-calf producers like you are using Inherit Select from Zoetis. You gain valuable predictions, including cow fertility, size and soundness, feed efficiency, growth and carcass merit, as well as easy to use economic indexes. This improves your selection, breeding and marketing decisions. Request a call from InheritProgress.com and ask about free TSUs to get you started. Before we head out, just another reminder, this is episode 142 of the Working Ranch Radio Show. If you want to go back and listen to it again, you can find it at WorkingRanchRadio.com or any podcast provider out there as well. And also, let us know. Give us some comments or thumbs up, thumbs down, questions you might have. If you want to shoot those to me, you can send me an email at Justin.WorkingRanch at gmail.com. Thanks to our sponsors today, Vitalix, the True Blue Tub, Performance Beef, cattle management software that's easy to use. Find out more at Performance livestockanalytics.com. Well, the Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's ranchers. You can get your subscription started by going to workingranchmag.com. If you'd like to get a hold of me again, my email address is justin.workingranch at gmail.com. I'm Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.